You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Dane. Welcome back to another episode of Reach Teach Talk. I'm here with Mike Irwin, the founder, co-founder of the Positivity Project, which is a nationwide network of uh, workshops and professional development and I don't know what else you'd call them, Mike, but seminars based on bringing people together in this divided world focused on youth, um, looking at schools as hubs for not just academic learning, but, and this is why you're listening to Reach Talk, relationship building, right? Growth overall, development of the mind, the body, and the soul. Um, Mike and his business partner, Jeff, um, served in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, they are bringing their experience, um, their military experience, and working in an organization that is focused outward, right, on the greater good um, to young people's lives today in the U.S. And in terms of relational teaching, I can think of no better example than this organization, the Positivity Project. In terms of the way that that the posit- the Positivity Project is able to integrate hope through connection into the the lives of young people in the U.S. today. So without much further ado, we're going to have a great conversation, Mike, about kind of the founding of the Positivity Project, where this idea of hope and positivity came from, how it connects to healthy relationship building, and honestly, how the Positivity Project has been able to heal a very fractured and very divided United States that we are existing in today. So welcome on board, Mike. We're really happy well, thank, to have you on Reach Yeah, Teach. thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it, Matt. Um, yeah, I'd say we're, we're working, right? We're working on that last one. It's, it's certainly a tall order, but we're definitely doing our part. Um, yeah, real brief overview of the Positivity Project. So our mission is to empower America's youth to build positive relationships and become their best selves, right? So we really want to uh, help and, and drive the connection and the ability to relate to other people and also to help every single individual who goes through the Positivity Project to grow in their character strengths, to, to become a better human being. Uh, you know, we, on top of the training that we provide, we also, we essentially have a scaffolded by grade level, pre-K all the way to 12th grade, uh, essentially a curriculum, um, a character education, social, emotional learning curriculum, where we empower, we put the power in the teacher's hands to teach a daily 15 minute lesson about the character strength of the week. So they're learning about integrity and humility and gratitude and creativity, enthusiasm, hope, like these character strengths that are so essential to living, um, you know, a successful and a fulfilling and an impactful life. Uh, Teachers are talking to their students about those for 10 to 15 minutes every single day. And the impact has been huge. One school up to 785 schools in just the past five years. Where do you think that hunger for the Positivity Project comes from? I think that, you know, there's been this big, obviously a big movement over the past 15, 20 years in the information age. There's been a lot of focus on, um, you know, growing an intellectual rigor, right? Like how do we get more students reading and more doing thinking critically and communicating and all those quote unquote 21st century skills that, you know, a lot of strategic business plans that at the district level of schools talk about. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, a lot of people realize that there's a challenge about that's awesome, but how do we also help to build better human beings? And these things are not necessarily in conflict with each other, but success and getting smarter and winning and, and all those things, um, if pursued to the extreme, do come very often at the expense of, well, what kind of person are you? Um, and so I think that you know, we've seen over the past 15, 20 years, more and more of this focus on you know, the outcomes and test scores and all that. And sort of not only left behind, but definitely 
receiving less attention and focus is, yes, but how are we helping students to treat each other better, to better connect with and to build relationships with each other, to include when they go back home with their family and their friends? Now, is it possible? So, because so, I've always believed that learning is, uh, it's never passive. Learning is, uh, is really only gained through challenge and through obstacle yeah. and hardship that you can, you know, oh, I mastered that concept and now it's going to be my long-term retention. It's, it's not like I open up my brain and just kind of get fed the information and I automatically learn that right. way. So if learning and if a school environment is based on learning, then I'm just thinking that that seems to me that a school environment is one that is competitive and one that is um, not always going to be happy and fun. So mm-hmm. how do you um, connect both the, the, the themes that you recited yeah. about positivity project, enthusiasm, hope, positivity um, into a school climate where academics and learning is not necessarily always going to be enthusiasm generating and fun. And- right. Totally. And sometimes it's going to be really hard. Absolutely. Well, one of the things we do, you know, is if we partner with schools is that we often fold really well into some of their academic curriculum. So, you know, uh, ELA, you know, the reading and the writing, and, and you think of some things like that, art and music and PE classes, there's a lot of different classes where the positivity product often finds its, itself making the way into there. And going back to my point, I think it's completely, it's awesome, right, to have competition and to have people who are striving to be the very best, right? Some of the data that we looked at from the Harvard Graduate School of Education study, though, that was a bit alarming was that when it comes down to uh, are we trying to help children be successful, um, be happy in the moment, or care for others, right? Care for others was at the bottom, right? And so the, a lot of the message that a lot of students have been getting is that feeling good in the moment, in other words, just being happy, you, you know, quote, unquote, you doing you, um, is more important than helping others. And achieving at a high level is more important than helping others. So I think we need to be aware that only one out of five uh, students said that uh, helping others is like the most or the primary message that I get. Um, and so again, there's nothing wrong like with that. I think it's, it's healthy competition, especially, um, you know, constructive competition is healthy. It's how we get better. It's just, I think, simply reminding people along the way that you should not pursue success at all costs, right? Because success at all costs is going to leave you feeling empty after you win that championship or you get that SAT score or you get into that college right? It's only going to be so enduring. Um, But what you're doing over here from a relationship building standpoint and being that good person, that is more enduring. And so we're simply trying to say, hey, how do you grow in your character so that yes, you're also successful, but also that you're using those character attributes to be a better human being and to build stronger relationships with your family, your friends, and your teammates. Wow. I love that idea of the classroom actually being less of a um, individual, like, okay, I'm going to work just for myself and instead have it be both that and um, caring for your neighbor, like caring for the student next to you who, mm-hmm. you know, let's face it, right? Like you remember being in high school, like you kind of had a sense for who was really acing the class and who was struggling. And it's yes. not, it wasn't a big secret, right? And if we can broaden ourselves in the classroom to care for how others are doing, um, it could actually unify the classroom in a, in well, a deeper yeah. way. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, right, like life is, I say this all the time, life is a team sport. And so like the challenge we have in lots of different domains in life is that we think that if we are individually successful, that that is going to make us happy. And what the research suggests is that that's rarely the case. Um, you know, a great story I used to illustrate this, one of my mentors, Jim Collins, his wife won the 1985 Ironman uh, World Championship. 30, 20, 15 years later, she went on to coach up in Boulder, Colorado. She coached 
the high school uh, women's cross country team. They went on to win the state championship. And when he talked to her about this, she just said, there was no comparison. The fulfillment that I got out of helping others to achieve their dreams versus me achieving my dreams, right? You know, yes, this is certainly a big deal. Like, it's not like she's saying like, ah, yeah, that Ironman World Championship that I sacrificed so much for didn't mean anything. Of course not. Like that was amazing. But what she said is that compared to helping other people achieve their dreams and helping them to succeed and as a, doing that as a unit, and as a team, that was more rewarding and more fulfilling. And I just share that as an example of the fact that you can be really individually smart and get the best grades or be the fastest kid in the class or the uh, all-state athlete or whatever it might be. But it's really how you integrate those ideas into your life that's so important. And that's why our mission statement at the P2, right? It's about empowering America's youth to build positive relationships and become your best self. Yes, we want you to become your best self, but we also want you using those attributes so that you can build strong relationships. Wow, that's awesome. You know, and you got me thinking about you, you defined actually quite brilliantly, or Jim, Jim Collins' wife did, the idea that of, w- of what it is about teaching that is so beyond it being a, a, just a job for so many, for the great teachers, right? That they, they attribute it as a calling and it's something that's a, a, real, um, a real life calling. And it's that idea that they're, they are fueled by this, this, look at what I'm able to do with this, this group of students. You know, every September I get a, a, new, a new batch and, and I don't know them, they don't know me. And we create a classroom dynamic that's relational at its heart. And, and the satisfaction that comes with, um, watching the improvement and watching their growth, it, it goes beyond, you know, even this individual satisfaction that I might get, right? Like totally. I live in LA and there's a lot of people who have, who are quite successful on high profile celebrities, whatnot. Yep. Yet, you know, every once in a while, you certainly hear stories about people who you would think would be super happy and really fulfilled, mm-hmm. but they, you know, in a sense, it's like they spent their whole lives just thinking about themselves and, mm-hmm. and this, and not having that relational connection yeah. with others. This is such a hundred percent. And this is such an important point to draw out. You know, um, in, in our initial training, we talk about this in the research quite a bit, but um, the number one driver of life satisfaction is the quality of a person's relationships with their family, their friends, their teammates, their coworkers, right? The positive psychology research, as you know, has borne this out over and over again through super longitudinal studies, uh, through ones that have done it in just recent years. And uh, it keeps coming back to this, this same, if not nearly identical idea, your relationships really define your level of happiness and life satisfaction, right? In other words, you can, you can be you know, less successful as, as the world will often and society will define it, but you've got strong relationships with people who look out for you, right? You're going to be very fulfilled. And I think that's super important for people to realize that like while we spend so much time and effort pursuing and chasing after our dreams and, and our own accomplishments, right? That if we do so along the way at the expense of our relationships, that when we hit that accomplishment, Who's going to be there to celebrate with us? Who's there going to be there to be happy with us if we've neglected people all along the way? And, and I think that's a, it's a real hard internal look that we have to do on that. I my own Some of my own uh, reflection on that, my, the first uh, organization that I founded, Team Red, White, and Blue, uh, while I was in grad school at the University of Michigan, uh, I was so committed to the success of that organization and in helping veterans. Um, you know, I... I a lot of my relationships, like I just, I don't have time. I, I'm working away. I'm, I'm team red, white, and blue. I'm te- and I felt like, hey, I'm doing this great thing for the veteran community. And I'm really like so passionate about it. But eventually got to the point of realizing like, like that's not healthy for me. And it's really going to be not healthy for the organization long-term if I can't find a way to, to, to strive and hit balance. 
That is, that is, that's such a great example. I can relate as well. Certainly it's the idea of diving head first into something that is absolutely authentic to your belief. And, and there's, you know, there's some incredible feeling that comes with your, your work being a definition of who you are, right. Or an outlet an extension of who you are. Yet, if it does come to that degree where it's like, I'm just going to focus on, on growing this and building this work, this project as passion driven as it is, um, out, we are wired for social connections. And if our friendships and if our family relationships start to fray, it's hard to build those back up again. And, and it reminds me of a podcast episode I did recently with Parker Palmer about relational trust and how you build that relational trust and proximity and time together is are two essential uh, traits yes. that, right, that come with building relationships. So I'd love to take a step back actually and hear more about you and your background in terms of like, did you just wake up one morning with a eureka moment just saying, you know what, it's all about enthusiasm and positivity and connection and relationship? Or is there, you know, how does your yeah. story contribute to the founding of the Positivity Project? Absolutely. And I'll just say a quick word on what you just mentioned. I think it's really important to know, you know, that over the past couple of years with all the challenges, you know, of COVID and all that, like you talk about proximity and how important that is that a lot of children have not had that. A lot of them have missed out on, you know, lots of that interaction time that they would have with one another. And I think that um, just like I know there's like been a lot of talk about like the gains we need to make on the learning and the academic front. Um, there's also, I think, a big amount of gains we need to make on the social front and on the, on the character front. Um, my personal story on this is that I uh, graduated from West Point in 2002, Iraq, deployed to Iraq once, Afghanistan twice. After that third rotation, I went to grad school at the University of Michigan, as I said a few minutes ago, and I was in the PhD program in personality psychology, but underneath it, I was really studying under Dr. Chris Peterson in Nansuk Park. Um, Chris Peterson being one of the really like the founding uh, members of the science of positive psychology under you know, Dr. Seligman. And I had two years, basically 22 months, not quite two full years to study under Chris. And I started Team Red, White, and Blue in part because of what I was learning from the research of positive psychology. Um, I went back to West Point and taught, well, in, in October of 2012, Chris died suddenly of a heart attack. Uh, I believe he was 62 years old. Um, he was just starting to hit his stride in terms of, of his life's work. Had he remained healthy and lived, I mean, he had another 20 years um, you know, of academic contributions to make to the world. And that, in, in some regards, died with him. You know, he was, there was not that many people out there you know, in the field of positive psychology at the time. Um, you know, that had this explicit focus on character strengths, which is really what I did in my, in my graduate school thesis work in, you know, was in the intersection of leadership and character strengths. So bottom line, when he passed, that's really when I started thinking through, well, wh what can I do on my end to maintain his legacy and bring forward a lot of this work that if he was alive, he would be fighting for to bring to the world. And it's centered on character strengths. Uh, and so, that's to me, as I started reflecting on my own life and at the time, um, my, I just had my first couple of kids. So my wife and I were having these conversations of how do we want to raise our kids and what's important for them, you know, as they grow into young adults and into adults. And we talked kept, and kept coming back to how important these character strengths are to build and to groom within them. So that really is where the idea, you know, started, um, you know, and I started initially a group at West Point, I called it the positive psychology project. And I really just was meeting with some cadets and talking about what positive psychology is. Um, and then for a couple of years, it kind of laid dormant. And then it was really through conversations with my co-founder, Jeff Bryan, former All-American lacrosse player at West Point, two-time Iraq veteran, went on and got his master's degree from the Fletcher School um, you know, up at Tufts. And we really came together with very different backgrounds, psychology and international relations. And we talked about 
how can we contribute to the future of the country? Uh, you know, this country that we fought for, we deployed a total of five times uh, together between us to, to, to defend that country, to uh, the ideals that you know, America espouses. And, and then we came back and realized like, wow, there's a lot of challenges on our home front. You know, and we thought to ourselves, like, what can we do? Uh, and, and that's really what began the, the, this conversation of how can we take positive psychology and package it up in snackables and bite-sized pieces, if you will, day to day to day to day, and then empower and train teachers, as many of them across America as possible, to be able to have these lessons and these conversations with their students to slowly, ever so slowly, growing students' knowledge about what gratitude is and how to be more grateful, what hope and optimism is and how to be more optimistic, what humility is and how to be more humble. What The list goes on and on, and, and that's the goal you know, as we partner with schools is to build these character strengths through their teachers, through their learning, and then through their practice to show more and more of these character strengths so that they graduate and go on for the rest of their lives, having a deeper sense of appreciation and understanding of what these character strengths are and why they're so important. There's so much that you just shared about. I mean, character strengths, first of all, is key. And I think that I'd love to at some point, probably not in this conversation for time's sake, but I'd love to learn about how you developed and, and really selected those specific character strengths and also how it, how it brings. I'm also wondering if, if there's anything that you can share off the top about what you learned in during your tours of duty um, about just this, 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 um, the need for positive uh, mindset. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, big time. Uh, jump in just real briefly to give you a, is an example. I would see this a lot of times in my soldiers that would deploy, they would be like, awesome. Things were going really well back home. And then you put them into extreme adversity, like on a deployment, 7,000 miles far from you know, home, family, friends, the familiar, um, and the adversity, the environment would have a drastic impact on their mindset and on their capacity to perform their job. Then you would have other soldiers, the opposite. Back when things were more peaceful and more stable, they would be late to formation or they would miss you know, morning physical training. You get over to Afghanistan and all of a sudden like they are buttoned, they are wired tight. You know, and you would see like how much the environment, you know, as the pressure and the temperature got, you know, turned up, it either broke people or it made people, you know? And so I became very fascinated about like, well, what is it about people who can make this transition from, you know, tranquility to a volatile environment and, and actually grow stronger through that volatility? Wow. Yes. And, and, okay. So this, in the, the snackables um, analogy, I just love that so much. I've never heard it before. Um, but you talk about building an environment where individuals can thrive together, like what you just shared in terms of the deployment in Afghanistan and how um, under certain circumstances you create the environment and they will be, they'll snap into service and they'll be right on. Um, and then other environments where it could be more sluggish and turn in late for, uh, for training and whatnot. Right. And right in the snackables approach, I, I, I guess I relate it to kind of what I share when I work with schools on their advisory programs about um, I call it the drip, drip, drip effect. It, it's, it's, it's not just during the uh, half an hour, twice a week that you have advisory or homeroom um, that the, that the magic really happens. In fact, it's usually like take advisory out, take the advisor or the counselor relationship, the mentor relationship out of that structure 30 minutes at twice a week and have it just think about the times during the school day where, you know, you have those 10 second sidebars, you have yes. those, right. You have the, 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 the time to kind of Ha- take a beat with a student that you see in the breezeway and just say, Hey, I remember that comment you made last, you know, yesterday, or, or that was a, that was an incredible soccer game. You know, I caught it a few minutes of um, yep. a couple days ago. 
And that kind of stuff is what, to me, creates environment more than just saying, okay, we're going to change our environment and expect it to just change from the top down or from some structural uh, eat it. Can you speak on that a little bit? Am I, am I following? No, kind you're, of your- absolutely. Yeah. I, I, a phrase comes to my mind. It's better to be consistently good than occasionally great. Um, you know, it's just this whole idea of the consistency matters. And what we often see is that a lot of times schools will do when it comes to characters, they'll have like a theme of the month, like one word theme for the month, like responsibility, right? Or they'll bring in a, a speaker or some sort of assembly, or they'll do something like once a month or once every two months um, and make a big deal of it. It's awesome. And people are engaged. But then the question is, well, what's the follow through? How do we sustain this? And that's the big thing is like, we know the power of habits. And so in our partner schools, nearly 800 of them, you just have the habit of, hey, every day, uh, very often they start off the day this way. We're talking about this, the character strength of the week, right? And so let's say it's humor or you know enthusiasm. You, you sit there and you talk about that character strength of the week, Monday through Friday for the first 10 to 15 minutes of the day, um, right? We've got videos, we have activities, we have all kinds of different resources at teacher's disposal to take the, the guesswork out of it. And, and frankly, a lot of the planning, since so many teachers have so much stress and so much work on their plate to begin with. And they sit there and they turn around and, and they, they execute. And they don't need to be an expert in the character strength of the week or in positive psychology to be able to teach it and to have a conversation about what gratitude is, right? Um, you know, about what love and kindness are. And so no doubt about it, it is about that consistency. And I would argue as consistent as you can make it, as many days in the week as you can make it, you're going to increase it. And we know this just, this is neurological pathway stuff, right? Like when you do, when you build habits and you're engaging with things on a consistent basis, that's how the brain is developed and shaped to, to show more of that character strength. This is how we learn math. You don't learn math, right? Like once every two weeks, like you learn it daily, right? So when you put the practice in and consistently engage on something, that's where the real growth happens. And we're at, we at a time, you, you alluded to this earlier in our conversation, that um, we are coming back together after this, you know, knock on wood, that we are in, entering into the tail end of this pandemic and in this the transition into an endemic um, COVID uh, life where we're going to have to live with this. But hopefully, hopefully it'll be more like the flu than um, what we've been experiencing, which is which has caused incredible isolation. You mentioned earlier, yes. uh, right, among our students and, and our adolescents and, and, and all of our, our youth. And this disconnect, and, and I was thinking about that when you were sharing about the neural pathways and how we are socially oriented, our brains are developed for social connection. And to be able to positively reinforce that in schools today and moving forward, being such an incredible priority. And thinking about this, this past couple of years, I'm wondering if you have anything you might want to share, particularly about young men. I'm thinking about young men who have been isolated. Um, there have been a lot of studies about young women and girls uh, and, and the social, um, you know, the cutting off truly of their social mm -hmm. worlds and how, and the negative impact of that. Yet, is there anything that you've seen in your work with the Positivity Project regarding young men, boys, um, and the effect of the pandemic on them specifically, and also, or just things you've observed that may be interesting to, to talk about, about yeah. where boys are today? Yeah. I mean, well, I think we can cite the article. We talked about this earlier in the Wall Street Journal um, that talked about, I believe it's a 40 to 45% reduction in the amount of young men applying to college. Uh, I think that 45% fall is over the past three years. So pre, you know, so 2019, 2022, 
Um, so that's, that's a, a very stark drop, you know, that's not like a, a, a micro trend. That's a, that's a pretty big, you know, you know, red flare from, from my view. Um, but it's more than just like, you know, you know, applying to college or moving on. It's really, I think a lot of times, you know, it boils down to like a lot of the stressors that we, I think we see a lot of young men, you know, facing, um, but also like, like everybody, right. Like the temptations are there to, um, you know, uh, play video games. Right. And I know that young men play video games at a much higher rate than young women do. Um, and those video games, I think the problem with them, and I'm not demonizing video games. Right. But you know, is that there's, uh, and when I talk to lots of young men who spend, you know, two, three, four, five hours a day playing them, they really truly believe they've got like friendships with their teammate, you know, on whatever game they play. Um, but they literally don't know what the person looks like. They don't know anything about their story or about who they are. And that per person certainly is not going to be there for them, right? If they have a bad day or if their mom is sick or their dog dies, right? Um, so there's a, there's a real important role that like in real life, in-person relationships play because those are the people that pick us up off the floor, right? When something, you know, really tough happens to us or we really, you know, we really take it on the teeth. You know, and so I think that a, a big part of, the, of, and this is just my, you know, sort of analytical, you know, kind of perspective on this is that, you know, so much of the video game um, culture, but then also certainly interacting with people virtually, right, on, on TikTok and, and, you know, Snap and, and Instagram and texting, all the virtual interaction, but this is both boys and girls, right, you know, who obviously do so much of this, is there's a lot that gets lost in translation, right? Uh, you know, in those virtual interactions. So I think for young men, I think that the video games is, is absolutely a big part of it. I think I saw a stat the other day, so I don't know if this is accurate, but there are more uh, young men, boys and young men playing um, uh, Fortnite than play football, basketball, and soccer added together, right? In, in leagues, you know? Yeah. Um, so again, like there's just a massive volume of young men that are spending lots of their time you know, with who they feel like to them are friends, but they don't really know anything about you. So that objectively, they're not your friend. They're just somebody that you're playing this, this video game in the metaverse with, you know? And so I think these are some of the things we got to grapple with moving forward, especially as the metaverse becomes, right, uh, accelerates and gains more steam. You know, I'm on the side of, I'm, I'm very concerned um, for what this does to the long-term health and happiness and well-being of our society. Um, certainly, you know, the past two years have accelerated the metaverse and accelerated the virtual world. I think there's some amazing things about the virtual world. Like we're like, we're connecting. You're in Los Angeles. I'm in North Carolina. We have this real time live conversation that you can record and then share out technology is amazing. So I'm not like, you know, uh, an anti-technology person, but I think that we have to really ask ourselves, what's the trade-off. And when we, when we, in, you know, spend so much time, especially young men, you know, playing video games and interacting with people in that way, that's not like real people in front of them. Objectively, you're making it harder for them to build those meaningful connections with people in their life, with their friends, with their family, romantically, et cetera. Mike, that you really had me with that example of um, friendship being, you know, when you, when things really, really crumble and you just fall to the floor, who's going to be there to grab you? Who's going to be there to help you up? And you know, your story, your, your, obviously your, your background, West Point and, and serving the, your tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq and having that understanding innately of what it means to be there for others, mm -hmm. right? What it means to be, um, if you're thinking about young men in, in the world of manhood, uh, to be a gentleman to, to others, yeah. um, and how that you, you can replicate so much through technology, 
Um, and your examples being excellent, like, you know, video games that can strengthen your brain and, and you know, increase your capacity for you know, strategic thinking and blah, blah, blah. And I don't mean to blah, 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 like dismissively. I mean, like, there's a lot that that can, yeah. and, and, you know, be used even academically um, in a video game format, yet it's not the same as building friendship. And I suppose right. you could say the same with, with girls um, in social media or, you know, or just take gender away and just, you know, youth in social media, same thing. Like, how many of your friends who like your posts are going to be there for you truly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hear the stereotype of the the person who, who on Facebook says, I'm having dinner on Friday night at this restaurant. Anybody out there who wants to join me, I'll be at this place, meet me at the bar and nobody shows up, you know, yeah. um, these are your quote unquote friends. So this world is so much more complex in that way. And, and your positive positivity project, the idea that it, it, it really challenges, um, that flow of, of society and, and causes all of us, even if, by the way, anybody who's listening or watching, just go to this website and you'll learn so much just by visiting the website alone about the way that the positivity project forces a pause on where, where society's going, how we're bringing up our youth and, and kind of recenters us on what really matters most in terms of relationship and connecting and positivity. Um, Mike, I'm going to leave you just for, for time's sake. We're going to have to wrap this conversation, but anything that you feel essential to say that we haven't talked about yet, any theme or any story you'd like to share to kind of wrap up this awesome conversation? Yeah, no, I just would say, first of all, this has been great. Love the, the energy, this, how much you care about this stuff. It's, it totally shines through, you know, in the discussion. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, just putting a bow on all of it is, you know, again, coming back to the importance of relationships and uh, the final thing I would say on this is, you know, my, my second book just released uh, a few months ago, it's called Leadership is a Relationship, How to Put People First in the Digital World. And it really unpacks, ju- the first chapter is called Relationships Under Siege. And it really just makes the point that, re- you know, relationships are inherently very complicated because they are interactions, ongoing interactions between two or more people or two or more groups of people. And when you think about that, like, if you're someone listening to this and you're thinking about, hey, I really buy into this. I, I know it. I understand the research. Relationships are so important, but man, they're hard. Uh, you're not alone. In fact, you're with everybody else in the world. Nobody. I've yet to meet somebody that says relationships are easy. And so I think it's so important to know that whether you're talking relationships from a leadership standpoint or a family standpoint or a teacher or a coach or a mentor or friendship, all the different ways that we relate or romantic relationships. Uh, that we relate to other people, it's so important to know that they are hard and they're never going to be not hard, you know? And I think that's such an important thing because we often we will beat ourselves up and we'll allow ourselves to get down and frustrated so much when our relationships aren't going well, that's okay, right? The key becomes how do you bend, not break? And, and how do you stretch and say, okay, that was a really bad day. I'm going to stop the bleeding, right? We're going to address some of these things and we're going to get things back on track tomorrow. Uh, and I just think that's such an important concept and it's why equipping students, but all of us really with the understanding, the character strengths, the attributes to be able to uh, understand these, these strengths and what they are, why they're so important and why relationships are so important is arguably not just timeless, but arguably more important than ever. I love that expression to bend the break, because I think about as a teacher in the classroom when, um, you know, you're, you're teaching and you're teaching and, and either something there's a ta- there's something that that's being taught. It clearly is not resonating with a faction of the students. You can see it in their body language, you see it in their face. And it's the teacher who actually 
has the fortitude to, to, to pause and to ask, like, are you all with me so far? Have I lost you like five minutes ago? And bending that break because, you know, the, the uh, instinct may be to keep pushing and pushing ahead, yet that is pushing toward a break. Um, mm-hmm. the connection between you as a teacher and the students in the classroom. So bending that break is actually what we talk about when we say, hey, ask your students, you know, check in, are you with me or have I lost you? Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes with friendships, it goes with, with interpersonal working relationships with teams. Um, certainly you've experienced it in so many different uh, modalities in your life. And Mike, I'm, I'm thrilled about your new book, by the way, I'll make sure that we have that up on the Chiron as well. Um, and, uh, thank you so much for being with us today on reach teach talk, talking about relationships, positivity, and the integration of both in what's needed, uh, for today's youth and for our society in order to heal and to really come together and unify, uh, in the future. Thank you so much, Nat. I appreciate it. Love the conversation and yeah, hope you have a great rest of the day. You've been listening to reach teach talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.